Hey, Jenkins here. I am about to launch in today a brand new, you know, I guess it's really kind of a series. That's what it is on these talks on the podcast here. Uh, for the next probably eight, maybe nine, perhaps ten, I think I can do it in eight, but the reality is sometimes these things just kind of grow, you know, they spread their wings, they fly a little bit, and I really want to land at, you know, 20, 25 minutes, not an hour. So if it goes too long, I'll just kind of chop and expand. Um, but I want to teach you about this topic, grace. Uh, grace is one of the foundational items that's on our website. In fact, really just kind of the framework that I like to lead people through is grace, freedom, purpose, and then empowerment. The, the logic really behind that is, and, and Beth is the one that helped me kind of articulate this for a while. I just had stuff just kind of slung all over my website. <laughs> and then she said, hey, let's let's look, look at this and let's step back and organize a little bit. And so that's what we did. Uh, but grace is really the foundation of it. You know, if you think the wrong things about how God views you, if you think the wrong things about yourself and your past, if you think the wrong things about the hope that you have for the future, that is going to radically affect your experience in the present right now. And so the foundational starting point, really, I believe, of living a life that matters and that makes a difference is grace. You know, the whole thing that we want to do on our website and through the things that we write, the things that we teach, is really, uh, I believe, to help people find and fulfill their purpose. And the beginning point of that is grace. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says that it's by grace that you're saved, not of works. So nothing you've done, nothing I've done. So we can't boast about, well, God's blessed me because I'm so incredibly blessable. Paul says, no, 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 it's not of works. It's nothing you've done. It's simply grace. And then he continues and says that with that same grace that saves you, that redeems you, that rescues you, God also, in that same grace, planned these incredible works that you would walk in. So you see that the starting point of the life that we live in Christ is grace. The continuance of that life is grace. In fact, there are places in the book of Galatians where Paul, he gets so frustrated with that church because they started with grace, but then they think that the way to continue in this life is by proving that they deserve to be blessed. I mean, you might have even thought that growing up in the church, you know, so often you would hear this idea like God accepts you just the way you are, but now you got to prove it. You like prove that you're saved. Prove that he didn't make a mistake. Well, the church at Galatia, you know, 2,000 years ago, they started doing that, and they thought that if they did all these deeds, that they would be more blessable. And there's this great passage in there. In fact, I'll let you go look it up. I don't have the notes right in front of me. I've just kind of thought of this while I was talking here, is this is why this stuff expands, and you think it's going to be eight weeks, and it goes into, you know, 10 or more. Uh, there's this great passage in there. Paul starts saying, okay, you, you think that by doing extra good deeds, you're suddenly more acceptable to God. And one of the good deeds they were doing is circumcision. Now that goes back in the Bible thousands of years, even before the time of Christ to the time of Abraham. 
That was one of the signs that he did, that God gave to him to show that he was in covenant relationship with God was that sign of circumcision. And after a while, the question became in the New Testament, right as the church is starting to grow, is do men need to be circumcised? Do they need to undergo surgery? In other words, very intimate, <laughs> painful surgery in order to prove their allegiance to God. And so the church at Galatia, now by the way, in Acts 15, if you look it up, the answer is no. But the church at Galatia, they thought, they thought you did, and they thought, well, we'll make this little cut on our anatomy, and by doing that, we'll be more acceptable to God. And so Paul gets very sarcastic in that letter, and he says, look, if you think a little cut right there is going to make you more acceptable to God, just go ahead and cut the entire thing off, and that should make you ultra acceptable. Now, he really says that. It's in your Bible. Go read it. And it shows just the absurdity of trying to do all of this stuff in order to be more blessable, acceptable. He says in the book of Galatians, uh, he says, look, you know, continue in the same way that you began. You began by grace. Just continue in grace. You began by God choosing you, by God lavishing his favor upon you, by God accepting you, even when you were, to be honest, in other passages of Scripture, it says, well, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us, meaning enemies in our mind. We had opposed his will by what we were doing. Uh, Paul says, again, it's grace. And so for the next few weeks, what I want to do is I want to talk about that. Now, let me direct you down to the show notes before I get going into this episode. I know five, almost six minutes in, right there's the six-minute mark. And that's a long, rambling intro to even set up what I'm going to be talking about for the next couple weeks. But down in the show notes, there is a link for you uh, where I've got this uh, digital, it's an ebook on identity. And if that would help you, uh, move forward and just take a deeper dive on some of the concepts that we're talking about. I would love for you to take that link and just kind of follow that along. The ebook on identity will take you farther into the discussion of grace because your identity really is based on what you feel the most important voice in your life thinks and says and feels about you. And so what we want to do in this Grace Basics series, and that's really kind of what it is. It's just the basics of grace, but I promise you it's going to be so deep, um, simplistically deep. We're, we're going to build off of that. So here, here's what I want to do. In episode number one of this series, I want to really talk to you about what God is like. And I think I'm going to term this the happy God, or I almost termed it God is in a good mood, or... Uh, something of that nature. L let me explain all of that. So if I asked you a question right now and just said, hey, what is God really like? What, what, is, what does he do? What is, what is his temperament? What is his tone? You might bring up three groups of words. Uh, group number one, you might bring up some big theological terms. Now, if you went to seminary, if you have a religion degree, Maybe even if you grew up in a church, you might bring up terms like, well, he's omnipresent. You got these omni words when you grow up. Omnipresent, omniscient, omnipowerful. Uh, those mean this, omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's everywhere all the time. 
We, we talked about that in a previous episode. Uh, omniscient, you know, shint from science. Omniscient, he, he knows everything. Uh, omnipowerful. Uh, he's so strong. He is the greatest force in the universe. He can do anything. You might bring up those big theological terms. Uh, some of you might bring up relational words. You might say things like God is love. Uh, God is merciful. He's kind. Uh, other people might bring up Bible words or religious words. Uh, things like God is holy. He's just. He's eternal. He's righteous. He's truth. He's wise. You know, He's the beginning of wisdom. Is the fear of the Lord from from Proverbs, all of these words are correct. They're accurate. They all show us a piece of what God is like. In fact, you could even think about like this is uh, there was an ancient Jewish rabbinical tradition that thought that, and I think this is accurate, looking at the creator is like viewing a diamond. So when you look at a diamond from one angle, you see certain prisms and reflections and refractions of light, and you see something unique, and then you twist the diamond a little bit. It's still the same diamond, but you see something different. You see another facet, and then you move it again, and you see it, you view it from a different, different angle, and you see more, and it refracts light in a different way, you know, and the, the prism effect of it, it's, it's kind of like... They would say God's like that. You know, we look at him from one angle and we see, and then we look at another angle and we see, and we look at it from a different view and we see all of those things are true. Now, I want you to notice this because I want to zero in on just a few aspects of what God is like uh, in this episode. Uh, Psalm 89, 14, and 15. Uh, this is the New King James Version of the Bible. And notice this, verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. So there we just ping, 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 nailed a couple words. Righteous, justice, mercy, truth. But notice the next verse, because again, all those things, yep, they're true. Verse 15, blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk in the light of your countenance. Now, a countenance is a face. So here's what the psalmist, probably David writing this, just said. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of the throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound, who behold your face. What's he saying? People that are at the throne, that behold the countenance, face of God, they encounter righteousness. They encounter justice. They encounter truth and mercy, yet so often in our culture when we see people who are beholding God like that or think or profess to be holding God, like so, somehow they're just frustrated or they're frazzled or they can even be angry. But right here, David says, the sound there is joy. They see his face and the sound coming from the throne of God is a joyful sound. You see it? Uh, another verse, Zephaniah 317, uh, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. So we, we would agree with that. Okay, God is our protector, our refuge. Notice what is continuing in the next sentence here. He will take great delight in you. In, in this love, 
He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. The joyful sound, God rejoicing over you with singing, regardless of where you've been, what you've done, this is what God is like. Now, sure, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, he's omnipowerful, he's love, merciful, kind, holy, just, eternal, righteous, truth, wise, just. But a joyful sound in all of that. And not only just is he joyful, but he's also expressing that delight and joy over you. Psalms 2.4, it says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. Psalms 16.11, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with the eternal pleasures at your right hand. You think, oh, this is a lot different maybe than just the limited view of what God is like that we might have picked up before. In fact, Paul picks up on this too in Romans. So we go all the way, all these are in the Old Testament where we typically perceive of God as being you know, angry. But all these, again, they're Old Testament verses. When we go over to the New Testament, Paul says this, Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Now, Paul's right there. People in that culture would have based rules, so many of them, and they picked them up from the Old Testament of, well, you, you can eat this, you can't eat that. You can drink this. You can't drink that. You can go here, can't go there. You know, growing up in the church so often you would think that, and it sounds like when I say this, that my experience of church was just negative. Oh, goodness. There were for sure some negative points of it. I I didn't grow up like with rose-colored glasses, but I had an incredible experience uh, growing up. was raised in a fantastic church. I mean, I have incredible memories of it. And at the same time, I think that if you asked everybody, hey, summarize Christianity just on a three by five note card, what's the essence of it? It would just be the word don't. (laughs) Don't don't do this. Don't go there. Don't do that. Don't say this. Don't think about that. Don't. Right here, Paul, Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking or abstaining from this or not touching that. But, and notice this, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God, right there, he said, is a matter of righteousness. Now, it's a Bible term. Uh, It means right relationships, that we're rightly connected with God, we're rightly connected with each other. That's what that means. That when grace takes effect in our heart, it affects not only how God views us, because he's already for us, not against us, but it affects how we view him. And that affects how we interact with others and give them the grace that we've experienced. And how we hope for the best, believe the best, endure the best, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, in the expression of that love that overflows to other people. It also comes with this profound sense of peace that's not anchored to the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And there is this joy, joy in the Holy Spirit. Now think about just in your mind, when you envision Jesus in the New Testament, what is 
he's so often doing. And, and I bet in your mind, you think, oh, you know, goodness, he's always at parties. He's dining with people. In fact, one of the slams that the Pharisees had on him was he's a glutton and a drunkard. He's always interacting with people in these, well, one of my friends says it like this, he actually spent more time at a table than he did in the temple. And it's not like he shunned the temple and he didn't go to the temple. So that, that's not what the friend is saying at all. It's just so often you see Jesus interacting with people in their everyday life. You think about his first miracle. The first thing he did was not heal a lame man or cause the blind to see, although those are certainly things that he did. The first miracle was that's recorded was the transforming of the water into wine at this marriage celebration. He effectively allows the party, the party, the celebration of this monumental event in time for this couple and their family and their friends who were there. He enables that to elevate and continue. When you see images of Jesus in the New Testament, uh, the children are always flocking to him. And people who are broken, who are down on their luck, who've been shunned, ostracized, who have not been able to make life work, sometimes because of things that they've done was their fault, sometimes based on things done to them. It was someone else's fault. They were the victim of a circumstance. Sometimes just no explanation for it. It's just life is tough and it happens. These are the people that would flock to him. Why? Because there's this magnetism. There's this righteousness. There's this peace. There is this joy. And it wasn't just when he was an adult. Even when he was born, Luke 2.10, the angels appear to the shepherds there on the hillside that first we call it Christmas morning. The angel said to them, you, you probably can quote this, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that are for you and for all people. Even from the moment he was born, at that birth, joy. Again, kind of boomerang back. Psalm 1611 is a verse that I referenced a couple moments ago. You've made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, notice right there, maybe two things I want to yank out of that verse, and then I'll start landing the plane. Two things. Number one, joy in his presence that's what we've just seen. Like when you get close to God, you don't get close to just formality. When you get close to God, you don't just get close to rules and ritual. When you get close to God, you don't just get close to all of these big theological terms. Now, I'm not saying those are less true. And I'm not saying we need to be flippant when we approach our Heavenly Father. But there is this ease of this joy. And notice this, the pleasures there are at the right hand. Um, you have made known to me the path of life, Psalm 1611. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Uh, Jesus is the one seated at the right hand of the Father. 
Like he's right there. Where are those eternal pleasures? They're right there in, in Jesus. I mean, all throughout the Bible, Acts uh, 2.33, if, if you're kind of taking notes when you're listening or just kind of want to click that little rewind and grab this and then go look it up in the Bible that you have, uh, Romans 8.34, 1 Peter 3.22, Mark 16.19, Hebrews 1.3, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. The pleasures are there. But it's not like the pleasures just arrived after Jesus ascended and then was seated at the right hand of the Father. It even goes back to the beginning, to creation. If you think about the Garden of Eden, that name Eden, it actually means pleasure. It means delight. Meaning that before sin entered the equation, before the fall, before all of this stuff happened that made things relationally rift, that made creation really collapse. Like right now, the beauty we see in creation is nothing like what it was designed to be or what it will be according to the scripture. Paul says in Romans 8, the creation is groaning with pains, waiting to see the revelation of the sons of God and itself waiting to be renewed. In Eden, before all of the chaos and hurt and pain that we experience, it was designed for pleasure. It was designed for delight. It was joy. And when Jesus comes, he brings a taste of what is at the throne of God, which is that the one in heaven right now laughs, Psalms 2-4. That the one in heaven right now uh, has a throne that is based on righteousness and justice, Psalms 89-14 is the foundation of that throne. But also, when we're there at the presence of that throne, we know the joyful sound. Not the rebuking sound, not the corrective sound, not the tense, terse sound. Joy. Um, that the one in heaven rejoices over you with seeing, Zephaniah 3.17, that the kingdom of God is not righteousness and peace only, but it's also joy that it includes so much more. You see, it's a core concept here, is that when we step into who we are, and when we move into what we were designed for, originally from God's creation intention, all the way to what Jesus resolved and redeemed at the cross, and then goes up and is seated at the right hand of the Father, when we step into that, we step into more of what we were designed for this Depth, And you say, well, what's the point of all of this? What's this episode trying to drive at? It is, I want you to reframe, maybe just at a glimpse, how you view your Heavenly Father that at the core He is joy, that He's not angry, that He's happy, that He's not perturbed, He's at peace. Do you see? I'll pick it up in the next episode. My prayer for you as I sign off is that the Lord would bless you. He'd keep you. He would be gracious to you. He would shine his face of favor upon you that you would see the bigger picture and see all of the things that are so true. The omniscience, that he knows all the things. So he knows where you're headed, that uh, the omnipowerful, so he can bring the day 
and the weak and all those circumstances to where they need to be for you. He's working those things for your favor, um, that he's righteous and that he's just. He's going to take care of the situations. But there's a joyful sound. And may you now hear the voice of your heavenly Father rejoicing over you in delight, in joy, grace, and peace. I will talk to you again in the next episode.